Hey everybody, welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name is Jed. How's everybody doing? So, it has been pointed out to me that you, dear listeners, may get a better experience uh, if I go back to introducing the guests and setting the show up and, you know, just being a little more attentive to the people that might uh, be listening to us for the first time. I realize I am really poor about that, so I apologize, and I am turning a new leaf for 2023, except until I might forget about it again. But that being said, this week is also kind of a throwback episode where I'm bringing on one of uh, the interesting people that I've met in rehab in treatment centers. I have met, you know, this is where like I met Dirty Mike. This is where uh, I met Besh. This is where I met uh, most of my most interesting friends and people I met in treatment centers. And this guy is no exception. His name is John Shirley. He is a lawyer. uh, So he can advise Every single one of you on any legal matters that you may have, just uh, send those on email, churchandotherdrugs at gmo.com. Um, no, John is awesome. He has a really cool story. He has a really cool perspective, and he's the first uh, lawyer that I've had on the show. So, everybody welcome John Shirley. It's almost over. It's just begun. Don't overthink this. Look in my eye. Don't be scared. Don't be shy. Come on in. The water's fine. You say the ocean's rising like I give a shit. You say the whole world's ending. Got it already there. You're not gonna slow it. Heaven knows you tried. Got it good. Now get inside. We're going to go where everybody knows everybody knows everybody huh? we're going to go where everybody knows everybody knows don't get your fucking get on out of your seat all eyes on me all eyes on me get your fucking So, yeah, I, like I was saying, uh, well, and uh, so my buddy, I got so lax on uh, the podcast of telling who I'm actually talking to. Uh, so <laughs> this is John Shirley. This is Hello. An old, this is an old uh, buddy I met in uh, in treatment yes. and finally catching up with him. Uh Mr. Shirley, welcome to uh, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, my dude. Yes, we met in a sanitarium where we belonged. Absolutely, they let yeah. us out to wreak havoc on the free world once again. The puzzle factory, bro. So that's. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm I hate, a- I hate the fucking puzzles. For the record. We're uh, I'm in a uh, like a little. And whoever has band. the one piece from all of them, fuck you. It's the vacuum. It's who has it. <laughs> the vacuum holds all the pieces. I'm in a little garage band with some other people in recovery, and that's the name we're we're kicking around is Puzzle Factory. I like it. It's a good name. I like it. Yes, indeed. Either that or Grippy Socks. Either one. 
I mean, you gotta have grippy socks in the in the puzzle factory. <laughs> one can be the name of the band and the other can be the first album there we go yes puzzle that factories was, uh, grippy socks <laughs> <laughs> grippy sock vacation will be the... exactly oh so how is uh how's life where are you coming from i am coming from covington louisiana i am uh I relocated here a couple of months ago bringing the Sheralness to the North Shore, one of the few places in the state I haven't lived or areas I haven't lived. Um, I didn't know the whole North Shore, South Shore was a thing until I was here, but it is. And uh, I didn't realize how small the towns were until I was here. And I, uh, I didn't realize one of the times that I went on the Grippy Sox vacation I thought I was in the middle of nowhere, and I was two blocks from downtown Covington. So I, I still get to <laughs> I got get to see some things, and I'm like, "Holy shit! I really could have escaped." But um, yeah, so I'm in Covington, coming at you. So, and for the for the rest of the country that's not Louisiana savvy, you can uh, just okay. think New Orleans. Think New Orleans, right? North of New Orleans. North of New Orleans. And um, south of Mississippi. So what do you uh let's see. I uh, so you're one of my my cadre of interesting people that I've just met in said sanitariums. And uh mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about that the other day. I mean, I know they did do a reality show about it kind of i mean celebrity rehab but it's like there i'm trying to think of another slice of life where you would meet as varied and interesting and crazy and annoying and cool group of people (laughs) i really i haven't been there wherever it is you know, I mean, that's the thing. It's from all backgrounds and you have, and it's just, an, and the level of insanity that just becomes the norm, you know, I mean, I, I still laugh with people in recovery. It's like, there are very few places or dinner conversations you can have about what sleep medication you're still on yes. and how they all react and it just be a normal conversation. Yeah, like oh yes. wait a minute, I I was on that. It gave me too bad a dream, so they switched me to that. But it gave me restless leg syndrome and this, that, and the other. And it's like oh, I like that, you know. And it's just the what the 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 level of norm quote unquote normality that you adjust to is something that really can't be explained to people who have not been through it. In my experience, yes, and that's why that's why it's super exciting to see a complete newbie to the experience try Mm -hmm. to adapt and try to make sense of it like especially in some of the more i guess i'll call them uh like higher end where it's like Mm. some fancy folk and they're really like what the fuck is going on here like especially if they get my favorite thing Mm -hmm. is crazy people that are also extremely wealthy so it's mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter. Like they're they are like quote unquote high class, and then they come in and they're some of the most bat shit <laughs> crazy people. I love who are, uh, who are being told what to do for the first time, maybe in their life. Mm-hmm. 
Oh yeah, big, <laughs> it's big. Uh, do you know who my father is? Energy, mm -hmm. right? Oh, I lost my, one of my ears. I mean, oh, that's fuck. the thing. It's like, and nobody cares. It's like yeah. it doesn't matter yeah. how many degrees I have. It's like I'm, you know, I'm trying to get out of lunch first to get my quick nap before I have to go get my head shrunk again. Yes. It's uh, it's just like the DMV. It's the great equalizer. <laughs> yes, indeed. It is the great equalizer. So I guess before I guess give a uh, let's do like a a a, a glimpse or a snapshot about kind of your story because it is an interesting one. You are one of those people who are both learned and degreed and accomplished. Uh. And yet, you love the drugs. I love me some drugs, baby. Yes. Um, yeah, and it's been, and I'm one of the, you know, I'm one of the lucky ones. And actually, for the record, since it's about sobriety, this go-round, I have uh, four months to date. Hey! Uh, so I'm Congratulations. about that. This is not my first run through sobriety. I've had some time. I've had some years, but uh, in and out. I was born in Baton Rouge, um, and uh, I'm the oldest of four. Well, weird dynamic in that I am uh, almost seven years older than my oldest sibling, and nine years older than almost fifteen years older. So it's kind of a, I was kind of left to my own devices, yeah. which was not necessarily a great thing for me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, love having you in my life. Wish we'd have met in a different place, kind of thing. But you know, I just started running and gunning early, fourteen or fifteen years old. Um, you know, got out of high school, uh, failed out of college very quickly because uh, my mom worked at my high school, so I couldn't cut out. But I also got to do whatever I wanted. Yes. Yeah, you know, which is a bad thing. And so then from failing out of college, I was partying. I um, worked and managed some rock bands uh, in Louisiana through Lafayette, which is kind of Cajun country and Alexandria, which is in the middle of Louisiana and boring as fuck. But yeah. when that where there's boredom, sometimes there's, you know, comes art and, you know, got married young for the first time uh what's young uh i was let's see 25 26 all right and i was and, and i was divorced by 27 oh wow <laughs> what was the was it was it substance related or just well, dumb, yeah. dumb kid related well, I think it was a perfect storm of everything. Um, right. You know, we were on vacation in Telluride, Colorado, and there were some substances, and we'd been dating about four years and decided we were going to get married, you know, cocaine and Bombay Sapphire. And uh, we got married in the mountains by this guy who looked exactly like Santa Claus that had this <laughs> purple like uh, agape sash. It's still one of those things where it phase it, it, it fuses into. I know it was real because there are pictures somewhere, but it was a perfect storm of two young fucked up kids who decided why not get married. Well, why not? Know, why what's, not? What's, what's the, the worst that could happen? What's the worst that can happen? 
Yeah, uh, story of my life. Yeah, you know, that's that's the memoir uh, title right there. What's the worst? Or, that could happen? What's the worst that can happen? What are they gonna do to me? Arrest me? Yeah, that, that's <laughs> yeah. chapter one. What are they gonna do? Send me to jail? Yeah, you know they can't make me do shit. Oh yeah, yeah. they can. Oh yeah, yeah, they can. Yeah, yeah, they can. Never ask what if. That's one of the thing. Or what's next? Yeah. That, that because was, when, you'll, you'll, you'll get the hands, babies. Yes, that was uh that was my favorite when people would do stuff in jail. They literally they'd be like, what are they gonna do? Send yes, they will send you to jail within the jail, which is much worse. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's always a bigger it, it always can get worse. Yes. So yeah. so early on, uh this was cocaine would you say it was your driver or were you just a, it was just like i'm just whatever rock well, and roll you know, any anything you had i would do but my go-to's and my favorite have always been you know gin and cocaine so but i really but i really like pain pills and things of that nature too so but i never i never said no there were some things i didn't like as much as others but uh, I I I I ripped and run ran mainly on coke and uh, gin. Were you so I had uh, I was never well. That's kind of semantics, but I never uh, alcohol was never my first choice. It was certainly a choice, but I had always heard and been taught that true alcoholics will uh, skew towards stimulants and amphetamines almost exclusively for the ability to drink more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that- and, yeah absolutely and i like the combination you know the way i, I would determine it is kind of like you know like you where alcohol was part of your party but it's like you know if the coke deal fell through i was fine my cokehead buddies their night was ruined yeah. You know, and that's and that's why I would that's why I say that alcohol is yes. top of my list. It's like, well, yeah, it sucks, but I do. This I, is a <clears throat> a quick anecdote. I remember uh when I first cocaine was the first drug substance that I did that like created the fiend in me. I I mm-hmm. never I never experienced and this was, you know, I was young. I was 15 when I first tried it and so like 15, 16, um, and then at 17 was when I first tried IVing it, and then that was over with. Oh. But I, I remember just being so new to the the jonesing, the fiending, the like, oh my God, all I need is one more hit, right? And I remember mm-hmm. one, one time I was with some uh, you know, some elder junkies as 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 you would call them, the uh, like uh, Mother Superior in Transpire, right? right? right. They, were, uh, they were they were guiding me, right? And I remember just being like, "Oh my god!" I ran out of money, ran out of cocaine. It was like, "Dude, I just need one more." And they're like, "Here, bud, just drink a beer and calm down." And mm-hmm. this was like a novel idea to me. And I drank right. the beer, and I was like, "Well, what do you know? I can I can relax now." Like, okay. Right. That was yeah. a big discovery. Yeah, knocking that edge off. And knocking then the like, edge off. And then you chase the edge, and then you chase the knocking off. Yes. And, yes. and then you, and then everything, then you start the clock. 
then you being alive but then you sprinkle <laughs> then you sprinkle some benzos a little xanax in the mix and you know a little opiates you know come on oh yeah you know that was like this last time it's like i didn't know exactly what opiate everything was cut with it ended up being fentanyl but it's like i knew because it's like well this is like a speedball without me adding any yeah, I want. Yeah, yeah when, when we get there, I want to touch on that too because you're one of the first, uh, like confirmed cases of that that I'd like heard personally, and that was just it's crazy to me. But okay, so you 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 got you got divorced from marriage number one. What yes. You, what were you doing for work at the time? I, I, at the time, I was doing um, fundraising and marketing for a group called Pacific West Cancer Fund which was based legally in Portland, Oregon, but we were, uh, our bricks and mortar was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And we did a lot of good work. We, um, you know, I did a lot of video editing for them and stuff like that during, during the stuff with the rock bands and stuff. I also was, I went from that to doing, marketing for a marketing firm in Baton Rouge and that's where I met my first ex-wife and everything but then I was working for Pacific West and 60 Minutes showed up and shut us down because really? apparently there were some things on the books that uh that when Morley Saver shows up at your work there's no need to show up on Monday is, is there an, is is that episode <laughs> on somewhere I'm sure it is I've never looked for it honestly but the lie, is, did were you aware of was was this uh, like a, uh, I was oh so low God. level it was only four or five of us I mean it crossed my mind why we were but you know what I just I was just yeah making yeah, yeah, the money yeah. and hanging out and uh so from that when that job ended um my uncle was running in the year two thousand was running for mayor of baton rouge and really so i took a job on that campaign and met my uh second ex-wife um and who was managing the campaign and we fell in love and she was based out of salt lake city so i moved out there we lost the campaign well so I was always curious too. What what does managing a campaign like consist of? What does that even mean? Well, it's a fantastic. Basically, the campaign manager makes sure because you have different aspects of a campaign. First of all, you have fundraising. Okay. And so there's somebody who's ahead of that. Then you have um, your marketing, your um, your campaign literature, your ads, your schedule. Now those two have to work in sync. So the campaign manager, and then you have like your volunteer work, you have your underground work, you have your get out the vote programs. You have all of these like separate entities and the campaign manager is the one who uh, is kind of like the neck between the candidate and all of those things and making sure all the trains run on time. That makes sense. Okay. You know, and as far as like scheduling when ads are going to drop, making sure you have the money for the ads, stuff like that. So was there, so Louisiana is infamously and notoriously 
crooked. I guess every, I mean, is there a government, a local or otherwise that isn't slightly crooked, but no. did you, was there any implicit or explicit like crookedness that you? Well, we've legalized it to the point where it's not like when I was a kid, when I would travel with my grandfather, when everything, my grandfather was, uh, uh Jimmy Davis, the singing governor's attorney. And so as a, and also he was a big attorney and involved in politics. So as a kid growing up, you know, going in and picking up literally suitcases full of cash and everything. But now we've legalized the corruption to the point there wasn't anything like that in our campaign. Okay. But there are like, there, there's a reason why when you look at, and this is one thing I did for a number of years to make a living in politics too. If you look at where the money is coming from for a campaign, you can see who they're owned by. Ah, you know, there's okay. a reason there's a reason why contractors and development companies and everything give fortunes to local races. It's like why would the mayor of Baton Rouge be, you know, in two thousand, now almost twenty three years ago a $2 million race combined. Every, the, the two main candidates, the three main candidates raised a combined over $200 cash on hand. And that's not including third party expenditures and everything. There's something to be bought and there's something to, and so it's kind of like with the federal stuff, you look at the Democrats and the Republicans, they get the same money from the same people, except the Republicans get, the NRA money and the, you know, right, the, right. the Democrat, the Democrats get, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, diff everybody has their cause that keeps people distracted. But if you follow the money, you can see who's buying and what's for sale. Ooh, interesting. We're and I'm not, and I'm not calling either side out. I'm just oh, saying right. it's that's just, one of the things it's like, you look that's at the it, facts, you know, you know, we have a cap, of five thousand dollars a person but then you have like somebody's third or fourth cousin giving five thousand dollars too it's like if you combine them all it's like you know instead of oh, one guy just giving a hundred thousand you got 20 people you know giving five. Oh, that's great okay so so i moved to utah to be with the woman you fell in love with Mm -hmm. So you moved to Mormon country. Mormon country, baby. Was, was she Mormon? Was she from mm -hmm. Salt Lake? No, her dad actually was governor of Louisiana. Can we say which one? Yeah, Buddy Romer. Rest Buddy Romer. Okay. Yeah, um, but after everything went down with the Duke Edwards Romer re-election, she got the hell out of Dodge and worked in Phoenix and then worked in um and saw and then ended up in salt lake city which actually is majority non-mormon salt lake really is. yeah salt lake city and park city are actually really cool cities but they're majority democrat and uh non-mormon okay that is i was mistaken about that i assumed it was completely mormon but the temple is there, and it is funny because, you know, they have all those weddings. They cycle them through, and there's a big, you know, but it's like it's also right in downtown. 
you yeah. know and so it's like you can sit in the mall and it's like tumbleweeds of wedding parties it's just bizarre oh weird so what <laughs> uh how did this new uh gal fit in with substances and drinking um drinking and weed still played a part but i was off of the hard drugs okay uh, you know um when i was in utah and then leading into my years in denver i just didn't come across it that much when i do it if she was out when i would run across it like in denver i would do it but i had alcohol as my baseline okay was she could she keep up or it just wasn't you were just Maybe. No, no, she she could keep up. She okay. wouldn't do the amounts I did, but um, you know, she didn't really realize how much I was drinking until years later when she got pregnant with Owen. Did you realize how much you were drinking? And by that, I mean, were at you know, we all have that point where deep down we are having to suppress the voice that says, oh, this is probably an issue. You know what, you know what I mean? Uh, it wasn't loud then, but in retrospect, I can definitely say that it was starting to, it was starting to interfere with my ability to, you know, function, you know, as I hit, you know, 30 and, you know, things like that. And my body was changing a little bit, the amount, and also the frustration. Um, but, you know, I had these, like, you know, like moving out west was a big uptick for me. When things started getting bad for me in Denver, I decided to go back to school. And, you know, I had to file academic bankruptcy and start over at the Community College of Denver. But I went and got my associate's degree and then moved back and got my bachelor's degree. And then that's when we got married and I moved to New Orleans and got my law degree and had O. And so there was there were times when when momentum was positive, the voice wasn't there, whether it was justification, denial pointing to everything is you know i just figured that like at some point everything would just click yeah and yeah. the and the and the issue of needing it would go away what how uh, yeah that's 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 funny so it's it's almost like <clears throat> this is just a, a temporary coping mechanism because i'm in the building process of my life and <laughs> once once i you know i hate i don't know why but i still hate uh, maybe it hates a strong word, but the old big book thing of like, once I arrive, like things will be okay. Once all, yeah. once all my external world is set up in the way that it is supposed to be, then of course, I'm not going to want to get blackout drunk every night because right. yeah, that's, that's a, especially too in Louisiana, and I would imagine, um, and we'll get to you being a lawyer, but the 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 some of the worst alcoholics I've met are lawyers, oh, or, yeah. or like like the culture in Louisiana is very much conducive to being a functioning alcoholic. That's just the way it is. Well, I've always laughed. It's like if you want to be in a in a in a high power meeting, you better you better drink or you better be in recovery. Because they don't trust you if you just don't want to drink. Wow. Is it so? <laughs> it, it, 
And I've I, always I, I wondered. Mean, I'm being all hyperbolic on that, but it's like if you're like, hey, I can't do it, it beat me, then that's respect. But if you're just choosing not to drink when it's a setting where you should be drinking, it's it, it, it's noted. Oh, it was. So is that a real thing where uh, like you go into like daytime drinking at the office where like, you know, the, the classic movie thing of like the boss is like, what can I get you to drink? And you pour like this tiny little <clears throat> shot of whiskey at like, you know, 1130 a.m. in the office. Was that a thing? Well, in Louisiana, it's just Fridays at, you know, um, <laughs> Galatoire's. Oh, yeah. You know? I, yeah. Mean, the diet. I mean, it's like in Louisiana, it doesn't even have to be hidden that way. It's yeah. like but Friday by noon, if you hadn't caught your doc, your lawyer on the phone, then you're basically done. <laughs> and you know, I mean, I mean, you know, and uh, I mean, they're they're, they're cliches and they're jokes because there's truth to it. Now, the whole Mad Men setup, because of you know, because of my age and the timing of my age, I've seen it change in the sense of you know, when I graduated high school, there was no internet. Sure. So now, like what we're doing now, and that's you know the the uh, the access of getting caught, where it's not just yeah. he said she said, has tempered a lot of that. Yes, it's you it's, know <laughs> it's <laughs> he said and he's got video. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, point. by by nature of you know, if you want to call it accountability, if you want to call it tattling, if you want to call it you know, resetting to where the, the means should have been, however you want to put it. Um, you know, a lot of those things have been ushered out because of the consequence is so much heavier now, yeah. you know? And, and, and it's like, you know, I mean, I, this is a little off topic, but in the same vein of, it's not just like raising my high school age son not to be racist, which he isn't, but the margin of error of just offhand using things like the N-word, the margin for error is so tiny now. Yeah. Because because if you say it in the wrong place, and I'm not saying there's a right place, I'm just saying that it'll follow you forever. The shit I did is either stories or somebody had to be fucked up with me. Remember the camera take it somewhere two weeks later remember to go pick it up and then keep it for 25 30 years yeah yeah versus yeah, yeah. just just having their phone on it. yeah <laughs> you know no it's true so, so so that stuff has kind of settled down some of the stuff that was going on when i was a runner for law firms in high school versus being an attorney now well so what what cause you oh and and yes on that side note it's it's like it, anybody every single person uh of our age of like if you grew up pre-internet pre-widespread smartphone internet in your teen years like every single person has done things that if they were broadcasted the way things are now it would be terrible. <laughs> oh God! It, it makes my it, it it makes me shudder. 
awful, awful, awful. <laughs> um, awful, awful. And it's and and it's, and it's it, a lot of it not even it's not like will it's just you're a stupid kid, right? Right. right. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I shudder. I shudder to think. Uh, yes. So, what made you want to pivot into being a lawyer? Well, to be honest with you, I'm a uh, I'm a third generation lawyer now, um, and because um, having done like media and campaigns and stuff, that's not a real great resume as far as translating to other careers. So while I had the momentum of going back to school and um, starting over, my grades were really good. And I saw spending three years in law school as a way to kind of either fill the gap in my resume slash jump the line kind of thing. So yeah. I became a lawyer kind of out of necessity. Yeah. In my, in my, in my mind. Because, <clears throat> I, I mean, I knew it from growing up in it. I had contacts in it because of my grandfather, my dad, my uncle, their friends, things like that. And it was an it was an easy, um, quick way to kind of jump into something that I thought, you know, fit my natural skill set anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a friend too that um is one of us and, and kind of messed up, flubbed up med school and had a, a bunch of loans and it was essentially like well pretty much the only option now to like have a career that's going to be able to cover what i thought was going to be a med school career is i got to go be a lawyer and he's yeah. lawyer. you know yeah. he's, doing, he's doing great but yeah it's um okay so of course too now and you know my thought process too my wife at the time was building her association and i was in law school and we decided we weren't going to have kids and things like that so my law career plan and the reasoning why i went to law school actually is irrelevant as you know yeah yeah <laughs> to my actual life yeah <laughs> yeah that's the, so funny the, the the childless dual income early retirement plan got you know lasted about nine months uh into my law school yeah. which <sighs> like so yeah. how, how old were you let's see when In 2006 i was um i was 34 when owen was born okay so that she got pregnant the um the summer between my first and second year of law school. So I had a year of law school, I had a year of pregnancy, and I had a year of parenthood, and then I took the bar exam. Oh my god. How did uh how did the news of an oncoming child affect the drinking, the drinking and the partying? Oh, shit. Well, first of all, it, it, I don't know that there was a initial spike for me, but um, when Caroline shut it down, it became obvious to her how much I was drinking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Once the partner. That, right. that, yes. You know, there's a big difference between like three to twoing somebody and three to zeroing somebody. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, um, 
Oh, and, man. And so that's when I started kind of drifting away, spending more time with my law school buddies, stuff like that, you know, hiding stuff, lying about it, you know, because, you know, you know, her maternal instinct and, and just for the physical health of the baby. And that's really what kind of, uh, that, that that's when things started, I would say, to crack and it started to me really see how it was affecting my day to day life again. Yeah. Um, you know, and um, and, you know, and then, of course, just like everything else, it's like, oh, you know, my justification was I'm under the stress of law school, got a kid coming. Once I get, once I pass the bar, once Owen's born, you know, everything will fall in place. But yeah, but it didn't. Spoiler alert: that's not <laughs> right. what happened. That's not what happened at all. So, what did happen? Well, Owen was born, um, and I passed the bar exam, and I was doing some contract work, um. And yeah, from the house and Caroline was working full time, her association, and I was basically raising the kid. And it's, um, you know, one of those things where uh, I'll never regret that. That was a great period of time in my life. Um, But then the, the anxiety and the depression of things not hitting, you know, the fights and everything and. Uh, I met one of my neighbors and uh, they had access to things that, you know, during this whole period of time, I had not had regular access to um, to cocaine in almost, let's see, like 12, 13 years. Oh, wow. You know, and then it came again and it came like, all right, here's the deal. This is how I'm going to get from point A to point B. And having law school friends who had unlimited dextrine and, you know, uh, Ad- yeah. Adderall and everything else. Yeah. And so, I mean, all of my speed vices came back. And, um, you know, um, and that's in 2013. In 2013, I went to my first inpatient. Well, and I want to, if you had to give a percentage of people that you encountered in law school, how many were on speed? Oh, as far as like, oh, God, it would be heavy. It would be, it would be up there. Nice. Um, You know. I guess you could uh, say now, that about now, college. Yeah, but you know, it, but, you know, with the caveat here, it's like I had because a being a decade older, b and this is the main one. This this is actually a because being married to you know and having wife that's pregnant and everything. I had a very small group of law school friends. Okay, you know, but everybody needed something. I mean, yeah. it's a stress, you know, it's a stressful deal. Um, it's not as stressful as it's made out to be, but, uh, 
it's easy it's, for me to say now. I say that, yeah. yet I still have reoccurring nightmares, including like about four or five days ago that I'm late for class. So I'm still traumatized and I've been practicing law for over, you know, 13 years now. So, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm done with school. I yeah. don't need the anxiety of registering for any classes. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, but yeah, so it's like, yeah, oh, now it's you know, kind of euphoric recall. It's like, oh, I got the degree. Uh, um, dude, I'm in that registering for classes anxiety. I start UL on the 11th. Oh, rock and roll, baby. Yeah, yeah. I'm rock basically, I'm kind of doing a lot of what you did because I went back, got my associates, uh, and so just finished that. So now I'm two years left in my bachelor's and then we'll go for go from there masters from there ideally. we'll do it man just keep it keep it rolling while you're in the mode get as yeah. much as you can yeah and, and look here's the great thing you know student loan debt is individual debt which means it dies with you it is not community debt so it doesn't stack go it on is what you're saying. Exactly. They ain't going to bankrupt you because it can't get discharged. So the caveat, the, 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 uh, the bargaining power was it dies with me. So it's like, guess what, party people? Y'all at the back of the line. <laughs> Did you have a time? I, I, get, I, I can die. Oh, my God. I don't even think about it anymore. That's something <laughs> I got you're the stuff i gotta deal with oh fucking you know i but one of my mentors is 60 something years old and he's like he ain't paid on his student loan debt either it's like fuck him it dies with me they can't go after my kids and my wife and my family i love it there's i know yeah and you're not the only uh i've had to deal without (laughs) credit cards for the longest time it ain't nothing new to me that's hilarious. And they don't, they can't garnish your wages and stuff? Nope. Oh, well, fuck them then. All right. I'm much less stressed their, now. Idea, their deal is that you can't get rid of it. Like if you file bankruptcy, you can discharge a lot of debt. You can't discharge student loan debt. Yeah. But it dies with you. Listen, uh, mom, Miriam, if you're listening, it's, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to go crazy. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not advocating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hey, what you I are myself in. You are a lawyer, so I will take your advice. Um, <laughs> okay, so things things got bad enough in 2013 uh, that you had to go impatient. Yes, yes. I spent uh, 42 days in Woodlake in. Um, uh, Ethel, Louisiana. Yep. Which, been... which, for people not familiar with Louisiana, I don't know how to explain where it is, but it's north of middle of nowhere. Middle of nowhere. If you if you AMA, uh, if you leave against medical advice from there, you are walking a good amount. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um. And so I did that, and I got clean, and I was doing well, and um, I uh kind of a weird story i was we were keeping my caroline's brother's dog and okay. it was a puppy and it was loud and we lived right near city park in new orleans okay and i was doing a work call 
and I didn't want to deal with it. So I was just, I, I drove through city park and where they have this kids train that runs through, they had to stop, you know, the railing stopped because it was going through. And so I threw it in park because I needed to get something out of my back seat. And this woman, you know, older woman, drunk as a skunk coming from Rouse on the park, just like came across and hit me and it rear-ended me doing like 40 miles an hour. And thank God I, I had it in park or it would have not probably knocked me off the brake and I'd have gone into the kids. But Jeez. um, it whiplashed the hell out of me. And I went to the doctor and like any good addict, I did not tell him I was in an addict. And this is back in the day when you get, you know, whatever you want. Laura tab with eight refills and I was off back to the races. Oh, man. That's man. That is, I guess it's less now since they cracked down on the prescription opioids, but yeah, that was, that was what got, uh, I had a six month, uh, really good stint of Well, anyway, yeah, six months sober was doing well. And I'd taken up skateboarding and this was in Florida, central Florida back in the, the pill mill heyday. And I, I, I broke my wrist and yeah, same deal. It was like, here's fucking, as many Vicodin as you can eat. That's when I found yeah. out your body I'm can rare. handle 30,000 milligrams of acetaminophen, you know? God. Yep. Yes. Yes. Rough, rough, so, rough. so that, um, that put me down, put me down, but I didn't go back into treatment, um, until 2018. And uh, I mean, for like any real time. Yeah. I mean, so that's a long, so that's a long 10 year stretch at least. Right. Of, oh no, you said 2013. 13. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Five year stretch. Yeah. Um, I did, I did a couple like 15 day. I did one at St. Chris, I did one at Victory and Lafayette, just kind of like tune-ups, and I would get a couple months, um, you know, but I, but I didn't go back like what I call full-on rehab until 2018 when I went to Palmetto, which is even in my middle of nowhere than Yeah, has. yeah, it's extremely middle of nowhere. So what is our – what's going on at the homestead during all these dalliances and uh, well we we separated in 2015 and uh As a know, direct uh, result of you yeah okay. well direct in my behaviors while I was, sure you Which know we, I'm not yeah we could call that yeah we could call that direct yeah, my my uh my decision making was impaired. Let's it's just say. the that's that is the harsh uh that is like so people people always talk this is why I always say getting sober is so tough is because like people I think underestimate the pain of having to it it's literally it w- was not you, but you have to pay the price for things that your vessel <sighs> said and did 
to the people that you love the most. Mm-hmm. You know, and because, you know, by and large, this is a painting with a broad brush, but like in my experience, addicts are extremely sensitive, empathetic, sympathetic character types. And dude, a lot of people just cannot swallow that pill of mm-hmm. like, I have to go back and like, I don't, I do not want to believe that I did those or that. Right. Oh, it's rough. It is rough. 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 Well, I mean, like my relapse and, you know, this last one was, I just didn't want to face anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's yeah. like my, my divorce went final while I was in, in Palmetto in 2019. Ugh. And towards the end of 2019, I she moved on and I couldn't face it. I wasn't equipped. I'd had over a year and a half sober and all of that stuff. And I just said, fuck it. Yeah. You know, I just, I didn't, it was like the reality that I was having to pay the bill, like you said, for my actions, because it was mm-hmm. me, but not who I am in, you know, in, in my estimation and how I act when I'm sober. And I just couldn't take it. I mean, I can make all the excuses that I didn't mourn my the loss of my marriage, which I didn't. Mm-hmm. I can use that, you know, I wanted, you know, I didn't want to, you know, be in the dating scene without alcohol, which I probably didn't. But it's like, the thing is, I just wanted back out. Uh, did, you ever, did you ever get, uh, were you ever passively suicidal? Like, when you say out, was there some like passive suicidal type type stuff? Or it was um, just... Was that- well, you know, I, I got to a point where it's like I didn't care if I woke up. Yeah. But I, think- I will but I will say though, having an anchor of my son, you know, um That's right. You know, it's one of those things where I think you kinda this is just me, my thinking on it. It's like when you have a kid, you kind of forfeit the right, in mm. my opinion. Uh, not so much because of the initial pain, but I I didn't want my son to have to live his life wondering why he wasn't good enough for me to stick around. Yeah. You know? And so that was always in my head, but I'd be lying if I didn't say that sometimes if I just eased on out in my sleep, I wouldn't have been sad about it. Sure. But as far as directly suicidal, I don't believe I've ever been. I ever was that. Not yeah. since I've had Owen. That's there yeah, was, that, that, I mean, yeah. I mean, when there were some dark times when I was like, I know I took handfuls of Xanax and things like that, knowing that it probably should have killed me. Yeah. You know, and woken up a day and a half later, pissed myself and everything yeah, else. Yeah, and yeah. just back for another round. Um, you know, but, you know, as far as like, you know, being suicidal, I, I have it in the tradition, in the traditional sense. In the tradition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, that's so, it's, but, it's, you know, but it's like as far as planning and stuff, but I lived my life like I didn't care if I lived or died. Right. Which I think if right. you want to extrapolate it out is, you know, some you know, uh, suicidal ideology in some way. It's like, you know, uh, I mean, is death by death by cop suicide? Yeah, but he he didn't pull the trigger kind of. Right. The old reckless abandon. Right. Um, (laughs) That, all right, this, this is completely 
left field, but it just reminded me we uh our our name for uh cough medicine was the desperate mainstay. Like between me and <laughs> me and my me and my butt my junkie buddies, when all we you know, we tried to get everything we wanted and then someone would be like, oh, desperate mainstay. And we'd be like, all right, let's go to the fucking grocery store. Begrudgingly, the desperate mainstay. Um all right, well, so let's get to what what got you on your current path of sobriety. And I remember you telling me a funny story about your initial detox roommate of this place. So I wanted to hear that. I wanted you to tell that. Oh, uh, um, you know, what got me in is not that exciting. It was a lot of cocaine uh, cut with fentanyl. And oh, a yeah, lot that's of right. Alcohol. And everything else. And I just kind of became vacant and my insurance would pay it and everybody was on my ass. But uh, so I had never heard of Long Branch. So I went to Long Branch. Apparently I came in hot, baby. Blew a point. I asked them before I left Baton Rouge. I'm like, what can I blow and not have to detox at the hospital for y'all? And they kind of laughed and said, 0.25. I'm like, I got you. And I blew exactly <laughs> that. I did, I think, a little over a half a gram of Coke slash fentanyl and headed in. And so they put me on phenobarbital and everything. And in the middle of the night, this cat comes in and doesn't say a word. Just passes out. And I'm, I'm fine with that because I'm in and out of it anyway. And then... He fucking, the first words I hear him say as the nurse comes in is like, well, he, I, she asked him if he ate and he's like, no, I'm going on a hundred grit strike. And she's like, what? Why? And I'm like, what the fuck? And she's like, yes, they, there's saltpeter in there. Y'all are trying to keep me from using my dick. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> and I want to, first of all, like, I'm not thinking because I'm like, I'm not certain that this is real. Right. Okay. Which is one thing I needed to clarify because I didn't want to come out like I'm having conversations with people that aren't there and then get either a different medicine or move somewhere else. Things like that. And I'm like, I'm thinking, who are you trying to fuck? Because it's just (laughs) me and you. Is it? (laughs) And I'm not sure you exist. And they keep giving me these pills. And I just like, I check out for a while. You know, but when he came to, he just continued to get crazier, but we're, you know, became a very dear friend of mine. But yeah, that, that was my initial, uh, <laughs> long brand. What, what was the, 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 the suicide watch thing? Oh yeah. That one, that just kind of rolled off me by that time. You know, I come in and he's like, uh, I need to apologize. I'm like, for what, dude? What what are we talking about now? And my mind is like, holy shit, I don't even know. I'm so numb at this point. Like we talked about when we started, just the things that become your normal life that are so insane to other people. Um, He's like, I got us on the watch. I'm like, what the fuck? It, what, what? What, what is what, the watch? What is the watch? He's like, the suicide watch. I'm like, did you tell people you're going to kill yourself he's like first of all i didn't ever say i was gonna commit suicide i'm like no story ends well that starts with that first of all 
ever, ever. Second thing he says is, I just told him how I would if I was going to. Oh, my God. And I'm like, here's the deal. Don't do it while I'm in the room. Don't do it while I'm sleeping. So he takes, you know, he falls dead asleep. They're checking on him, waking me up all the time. Oh, and I disappeared. Yeah. Just like that. Uh, <laughs> you know, but it was like, but it was shit like that. It's like, well, I mean, normally a person walks in and their roommate tells them that, that he's on suicide watch. It would like at least raise your blood pressure or your pulse or something. But that's mm -hmm. just like, that's just how it is. Isn't it? Oh, yeah. And that's, uh, yeah, that's everybody know, like, rule number one of making your rehab stay more, comp especially your detox. I'll say your detox. If you tell the people that you want to harm yourself, they have to check on you every 15 minutes. Somebody has to lay eyes on you every 15 minutes, okay? So if, if your roommate is trying to sleep off his detox, He's getting woken up. Every it's <laughs> yep. the worst. It's the worst. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, you know, for the record, he did not kill himself. He's still alive and weirder than ever. Sober. Weird, stranger than life. So yes. what do you, how do you feel about your recovery this time around? How you feeling? I feel good. Um, and I hate saying that, but I'm allowed to now that I'm not an IOP anymore. I don't have my feelings wheel with me, uh, but you know, you know <laughs> I feel startled. Yeah. <laughs> I always wanted to check in as startled, but I never could figure that out. You know, I, I, I'm doing a lot of things that kind of I don't like to do. I'm doing some things that make me uncomfortable. I'm throwing myself into the AA program, you know you know fully um and i just feel at peace this time around and you know I, it makes sense to me if i don't make but it's like i i didn't go into rehab this time like to get rid of any pain i just went in because i felt hollow mm. i felt like truly apathetic other than my son in my life and so being to that kind of point of desperation you know, um, and, yeah. you know, basically just building things up. It's, there's nothing conflicting. It's like everything I've tried on my own has, you know, led me back to rehabs, you know, and has tempted fate once again. And, you know, you know, knock on wood, I'm still here. And but you, not him. Yeah. And you chose, I mean, you are, uh, you are a lawyer, you have your own home, and you chose to, you have a, a teenage son, and you chose to go into sober living, yep. which I find extremely commendable. And in a town, I didn't even know what it was. I mean, I knew Covington. Oh, I mean, yeah, I knew yeah, it yeah, existed, yeah, exactly. But I was just like, fuck it. Yeah, that's that's solid, man. Are you uh are you where are you at in your steps? This time? Uh well I'm I'm kind of I'm redoing them with yeah. um uh with my my sponsor, you know, doing for I did like a mini four step inpatient. So I'm kind of like working on the big a big four and on nine as well. Oof. 
Yeah. So I'm having a lot of fun. Good. That's <laughs> awesome, bro. You know, that's the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Hang the but, piper. Yes, Hang indeed. The piper. Yes, indeed. So. Well, dude, it was uh, it's fantastic catching up with you, man. I'm 100%. super. Congrats. It's very uh, awesome that today is your four months. That was serendipitous. One hundred percent. Yeah, and I I wish nothing but continued success, man, and and keep in touch. Absolutely, my brother. All my love to y'all. Oh, yeah, and uh, send me an email at churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com, patreon.com slash churchandotherdrugs, and storefrontier.com slash Josie.